are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work of the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And after today's reading, if you'd like to discuss it with others, go over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year Facebook group, and there you can interact with other readers and listeners. Today is day 47, and today we will be reading from Book 1, Chapter 25. Picking up where we left off yesterday at paragraph 401, we'll read through 412, and in so doing, we will be completing Book 1 of the first volume. And so tomorrow, we begin Book 2. The family of Jochum was not rich, though at the same time he could not have been called poor. Conformable to the honored standing of her family, St. Anne desired to dress her most holy daughter as best she could afford within the bounds of decency and modesty. The most humble child yielded to this maternal solicitude during the time of her voluntary silence without protest. But when she began to speak, she humbly asked her mother not to clothe her in costly and showy garments, but to procure for her garments of coarse and poor material, if possible, such as had already been worn by others, and of an ash-gray color, similar to that which in our day is worn by the nuns of St. Clair. The Holy Mother, who looked upon and respected her daughter as her mistress, answered, My daughter, I will conform to thy desire in regard to the form and color of thy dress, but thy strength will not permit the coarseness which thou desirest. And in this regard, I wish that thou obey me. The child, obedient to the will of her mother, and never objecting anything, acquiesced and allowed herself to be clothed in the garments which were provided. They were of the color and form desired by her, and similar to the dress worn by children dedicated to a devout life. Although she desired them to be coarser and poorer, she supplied this want by obedience, deeming obedience more precious than sacrifice. Thus, the most holy child, Mary, had the merit of obedience to her mother and of humility in her aspirations, deeming herself unworthy of the use of even that which is necessary to preserve natural life. In the virtue of obedience toward her parents, she was most distinguished and exact during the three years of her stay with them by her divinely infused science. She knew their interior wishes, and thus she was beforehand in fulfilling them to the minutest point. She asked the permission and blessing of her mother for whatever she undertook to do herself, kissing her hand with great humility and reverence. The mother outwardly permitted this, while inwardly she venerated the grace and exalted dignity of her daughter. At times she would retire to enjoy by herself and with greater liberty the company and intercourse of her only angels, and to give outward tokens of the burning love of her spouse. In some of her exercises she prostrated herself tearfully, afflicting that most perfect and tender little body of hers for the sins of mortals, supplicating the mercy and blessings of God for them, and striving to gain these favors by the exercise of heroic virtues. The grief of her heart on account of the sins made known to her, and the pangs of love with which it was accompanied, caused in the heavenly child intensest sorrow and pain. Nevertheless, in order to be in all things the mother of mercy and the mediatrix of grace, she taxed also her bodily strength during that tender age in works of penance and mortification, 
sparing no exertion, that time and opportunity permitted in order to gain grace for herself and for us men. When she reached the age of two years, she began to exercise her special pity and charity toward the poor. She solicited alms for them of St. Anne, and the kind-hearted mother readily granted her petitions, both for the sake of the poor and to satisfy the tender charity of her most holy daughter, at the same time encouraging her, who was the mistress of mercy and charity, to love and esteem the poor. Besides giving what she obtained expressly for distribution among the poor, she reserved part of her meals for the same purpose, in order that from her infancy it might be said of her more truly than of Job, for my infancy compassion grew with me. She gave to the poor not as if conferring a benefit upon them, but as paying a debt due in justice, saying in her heart, This, my brother and master, deserves what he needs, and what I possess, without desert. In giving alms, she kissed the hands of the poor, and whenever she was alone, she kissed their hands or feet, or if this was impossible, she would kiss the ground over which they had passed. Never did she give an alm to the poor without conferring still greater favors on their souls by interceding for them, and thus dismissing them relieved in body and soul. Not less admirable were the humility and obedience of the Most Holy Child in permitting herself to be taught to read and to do other things as other children in that time of life. She was instructed in reading and other arts by her parents, and she submitted, though she had infused knowledge of all things created. The angels were filled with admiration at the unparalleled wisdom of this child, who willingly listened to the teaching of all. Her holy mother Anne, as far as her intuition and love permitted, observed with rapture the heavenly princess and blessed the Most High in her. But with her love, as the time for presenting her in the temple approached, grew also the dread of the approaching end of the three years set by the Almighty and the consciousness that the terms of her vow must punctually be fulfilled. Therefore, the child Mary began to prepare and dispose her mother, manifesting to her six months before her ardent desire of living in the temple. She recounted the benefits which they had received at the hands of the Lord, how much they were obliged to seek his greater pleasure, and how, when she should be dedicated to God in the temple, she would be more her daughter than in their own house. The holy Anne heard the discreet arguments of her child Mary, but though she was resigned to the divine will and wished to fulfill her promise of offering up her beloved daughter, yet the natural force of her love towards such an unequal and beloved treasure, joined with the full understanding of its inestimable value, caused a mortal strife in her most faithful heart at the mere thought of her departure, which she was close at hand. There is no doubt that she would have lost her life in this fierce and vivid sorrow if the hand of the Almighty had not comforted her, for the grace and dignity of her heavenly daughter was fully known to her and had entirely ravished her heart, making the presence of Mary more dear to her than life. Full of this grief, she said to the child, My beloved daughter, for many years I have longed for thee, and only for a few years do I merit to have thy company. But thus let the will of God be fulfilled." I do not wish to be unfaithful to the promise of sending thee to the temple, but there is yet time left for fulfilling it. Have patience until the day arrives for the accomplishment of thy wishes. A few days before Most Holy Mary reached the age of three years, 
she was favored with an abstract vision of the divinity, in which it was made known to her that the time of her departure for the temple ordained by God had arrived, and that there she was to live dedicated and consecrated to his service. Her most pure soul was filled with new joy and gratitude at this prospect, and speaking with the Lord, she gave him thanks, saying, Most high God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, my eternal and highest good, since I cannot praise thee worthily, let it be done in the name of this humble slave, by the angelic spirits, since thou, immense Lord, who hast need of none, dost look upon this lowly wormlet of the earth in thy unbounded mercy. Whence this great benefit to me, that thou shouldst receive me into thy house and service, since I do not even merit the most abject spot of the earth for my place of habitation. But as thou art urged thereto by thy own greatness, I beseech thee to inspire the hearts of my parents to fulfill thy holy will. At the same time, Anne had a vision in which the Lord enjoined her to fulfill her promise by presenting her daughter in the temple on the very day on which the third year of her age should be complete. There is no doubt that this command caused more grief in St. Anne than that given to Abraham to sacrifice her son Isaac. But the Lord consoled and comforted her, promising his grace and assistance in her loneliness during the absence of her beloved daughter. The holy matron showed herself prepared and ready to execute the command of the Almighty. And she answered full of submission by the following prayer, Lord God, master of all my being, I have pledged to thy service and to the temple my daughter, whom thou in thy ineffable mercy hast given me. She is thine, and I return her to thee with thanks for the time in which I have enjoyed her, for having been chosen to conceive her and assist her in her formation. But remember, God and Lord, that in the keeping of thy inestimable treasure I was rich. I enjoyed her company in this desert valley of tears. She was the joy of my sorrow, the alleviation of my labors, the mirror for the regulation of my life, the example of a supernal perfection, which stimulated my remissness and enkindled my affections. Through that creature alone have I hoped for mercy and grace, and I fear that in being deprived of her, I will fall away from all thy grace. Heal, O Lord, the wound of my heart, and deal with me not as I have deserved, but look upon me as a kind father of mercies, while I bring my daughter to the temple, according to thy command. St. Joachim also had a visitation or vision of the Lord at this time, receiving the same command as Anne. Having conferred with each other and taking account of the will of the Lord, they resolved to fulfill it with humble submission, and appointed the day on which the child was to be brought to the temple. Great was also the grief of this holy old man, though not quite so great as that of St. Anne, for the high mystery of her being, the future mother of God, was yet concealed from him. Instruction given me by the Queen of Heaven. My dearest daughter, keep in mind that all the living are born destined for death. But ignorant of the time allowed them, this they know for certain, however, that the term of life is short, that eternity is without end, and that in this life only they can harvest what will yield life or death eternal. In this dangerous pilgrimage of life, God has ordained that no one shall know for certain whether he is worthy, Ecclesiastes 9.1, of his love or hate. For if he uses his reason rightly, this uncertainty will urge them to seek with all his powers the friendship of the same Lord. God justifies his cause as soon as the soul acquires the use of reason. 
For from that time onward, he enlightens and urges and guides man toward virtue and draws him away from sin, teaching him to distinguish between water and fire, to approve of the good and reject evil, to choose virtue and repel vice. Moreover, God calls and rouses the soul by his holy inspirations and continual promptings, provides the help of the sacraments, doctrines, and commandments, urges man onward through his angels, preachers, confessors, ministers, and teachers, by special tribulations and favors, by the example of strangers, by trials, deaths, and other happenings, and dispositions of his providence. He disposes the things of life so as to draw toward him all men, for he wishes all to be saved. Thus he places at the disposal of the creature a vast field of benevolent help and assistance, which it can and should use for its own advancement. Opposing all this are the tendencies of the inferior and sensitive nature, infected with the fomus peccati, the foment of sin, tending towards sensible objects and by the lower appetites and repugnances, disturbing the reason and enthralling the will and the false liberty of ungoverned desires. The demon also, by his fascinations and his deceitful and iniquitous suggestions, obscures the interior light and hides the deathly poison beneath the pleasant exterior. But the Mosai does not immediately forsake his creatures. He renews his mercy and his assistance, recalling them again and again, and if they respond to his first call, he adds others according to his equity, increasing and multiplying them in proportion as the soul corresponds. As a reward of the victory, which the soul wins over itself, the force of his passions and concupiscences is diminished. The spirit is made free to soar higher and rise above its own inclinations and above the demons. But if man neglects to rise above his low desires and his forgetfulness, he yields to the enemy of God and man. The more he alienates himself from the goodness of God, so much the more unworthy does he become of the secret callings of the Most High, and so much the less does he appreciate his assistance, though it be great. For the demon and the passions have obtained a greater dominion and power over his intellect, and have made him more unfit and more incapable of the grace of the Almighty. Thereon, my dear daughter, rests the whole salvation or condemnation of souls, that is, in commencing to admit or resist the advances of the Lord, I desire thee not to forget this doctrine, so that thou mayest respond to the many calls which thou receivest of the Most High. See thou, be strong in resisting his enemies, and punctually solicitous in fulfilling the pleasure of thy Lord, for thereby thou wilt gratify him, and attend to the commands made known to thee by divine light. I loved my parents dearly, and the tender words of my mother wounded my heart, but as I knew it to be the will of God to leave them, I forgot her house and my people in order to follow my spouse. The proper education and the instruction of children will be much toward making them more free and habituated to the practice of virtue, since thus they will be accustomed to follow the sure and safe guiding star of reason from its first dawn. This concludes our reading today for day 47. We've read from book 1, chapter 25, paragraphs 401 to 412, and we completed chapter 25 today. One of the very first things we hear today in our reading is about the obedience of Mary. And so she asked her mother for certain things, and she was obedient, even though her mother said, I don't know if that's the right thing. She was obedient to her mother. 
the child obedient to the will of her mother, and never objecting in anything, acquiesced and allowed herself to be clothed in the garments which were provided. Now we think of Mary's obedience, and she was obedient to the will of God. Think about those words that she utters at the Annunciation, and how great will it be when we get into the second volume and we hear those words from Maria of Agreda writing about the Annunciation event. But Mary says, let it be done to me according to your word. Mary is saying, I want your will to be done. I want to be obedient to it. Use me however you want, Almighty God. And so she was obedient, obedient from the very beginning of her life. And we see how that obedience continues to unfold all throughout her childhood and all throughout her life. Here's something we heard today. In some of her exercises, she prostrated herself tearfully, afflicting that most perfect and tender little body of hers for the sins of mortals supplicating the mercy and blessings of God for them and striving to gain these favors by the exercise of heroic virtues. So she is doing penance. Well, we should do penance. Penance for our own sins. Every time we go to confession, the priest gives us a penance, but we can also make a small sacrifice. This is what Our Lady taught the children in Fatima. She said something along the lines of praying this prayer. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I do this or I make this sacrifice out of love for you and for the salvation of souls. A small little sacrifice can go a long way, and we see that the child Mary herself made those sacrifices. And then we notice the charity of Mary. So we have her obedience, and then we have her charity. She solicited alms for the poor. She gave alms. She kissed the hands of the poor. She gave away food. She wanted to help the needy and Well, this is almost an anticipation of what Jesus is going to teach, that Jesus says, you know, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, give drink to the thirsty. And this is what Mary already wants to do. She's very generous in this way, even as a little child. And I think we see that sometimes in little children, and we train the little child to be generous to the poor. We give them a dollar to go put in a charitable bucket when we see it. We give the child a dollar to put in the church basket or whatever the case might be. So we're already trying to instill that sense of generosity uh, in the life of children. As we hear about Mary's assistance to the poor, I think what it does for us is it makes us ask, well, when's the last time I helped the poor? Examine that in your life today. Maybe you'll want to make a donation to an organization like Food for the Poor or take some canned goods to a local food pantry as a way to really respond as we hear the generous nature of the Blessed Virgin. I really love this line. Never did she give an alm to the poor without conferring still greater favors on their souls by interceding for them and thus dismissing them received in body and soul. So not only does she... Give, but then Mary, being this prayerful woman, prays for them. And so maybe when we give alms, when we help the poor, we should be praying for them. Our donation isn't enough. We need to offer a prayer for them. And Mary really teaches us that today. We heard that prayer of St. Anne as she was really struggling in giving Mary to the temple. And that's where we'll pick up tomorrow But there is this prayer that she prayed. She said, Heal, O Lord, the wound of my heart, 
and deal with me not as I have deserved, but look upon me as a kind father of mercies, which I bring my daughter to the temple. Heal, O Lord, the wound of my heart. Well, that's a good prayer, not only for St. Anne as she experienced that wound of leaving her child. It's a good prayer for us because we are all wounded. We've all suffered in some way. Heal, O Lord, my wound of abandonment. Heal, O Lord, my wound of being betrayed. Whatever that is, maybe today ask the Lord to heal that wound of your own heart. Modeling your prayer today after that of St. Anne's. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm so grateful that you joined me today, and I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.